but that can very easily slip into a reaction amongst those in power to revert to a style of command and control leadership that goes beyond what is necessary. So instead, overly directing people, um, thereby risking alienating the very staff that we need to be engaged and motivated. We know that healthcare workers step up when there's an emergency. Previously on the podcast, we've heard about responses to Grenfell and terrorist bombings and the stories of staff going above and beyond to help people. But this pandemic is different. This isn't going to last for a few days. This is going to last for a year. So how should we handle this? What do organisations need to do to protect the well-being of their staff and try and prevent terrible burnout? I'm Abby Rimmer, careers editor at the BMJ, and I'm joined by Michael West, one of the authors of the GMC report, Pairing for Doctors, Caring for Patients. Michael, can I get you to introduce yourself? Thank you, Abby. My name is Michael West. I'm visiting senior fellow at the King's Fund and professor of organisational psychology at Lancaster University. And I had the privilege of co-chairing with Dame Denise Coyer, the GMC inquiry into the mental health of doctors, which was published last November under the title Caring for Doctors, Caring for Patients. We're also joined by Kat Chatfield. Kat, can you introduce yourself, please? Yes, of course. I'm Kat Chatfield. I'm a clinical editor at the BMJ and a GP by training. Um, My special interest is in quality improvement and patient safety. And I'd like to kick off with the first question. Michael, everyone is about to experience or is experiencing extreme pressures on healthcare services. What can leaders start doing to help their teams? Well, I think there's an understandable reaction in a crisis as enormous as this to feel as leaders that we have to know the answers and we have to start taking immediate action. And um, I had a conversation with my 93-year-old mother last night and I commented that maybe this was very like the circumstances she'd experienced during the Second World War. And she said, no, this was entirely different because it was affecting everybody's lives in every possible way. So I think there's a starting place that for us as leaders to say, well, we don't know uh, what to do in this situation. We have some knowledge from previous events and previous experiences, but to recognise that this is an unprecedented situation. And what that means is that we need to take the time to reflect before taking action urgent though the situation is and to build in time for reflection for us as individual leaders and for our teams to ensure that we are thinking carefully and sharing knowledge and experience about what it is we're trying to achieve in the situations we face, how we're going about it, what we need to change and to continue to do that over time because The circumstances will change rapidly, as we've seen, and uh, will require new responses. So I think having the courage to bring teams together on a regular basis to plan, to reflect, to learn and to share experiences will be really important for responding effectively to this crisis, but also in providing the social support that all our staff will need uh, in responding to this extraordinary and urgent situation. In your GMC report, Michael, you mentioned some teams who were able to schedule some time for that, despite being under pressure. Could you tell us about them? Yes, so what we see is that um, 
the most effective teams in these crises are those that do deliberately carve out the time. Um, what we've seen in secondary care, for example, in A&E departments in South Wales is teams beginning a day with a half an hour or an hour where they are being really clear about what are the key priorities for the day, uh, whose roles are um, to, take it, to take care of particular tasks or patients, so making sure that everyone's clear about their roles in the team and each other's roles. We've seen also in primary care surgeries under pressure, like the Prince of Wales surgery in Leicester that uh, was under enormous pressure and decided to have two practice meetings a week as well as a partner's meeting, so they set aside three hours of their week and what they discovered was that they were successful in reducing the pressure because they began to work much smarter um, but also it reduced levels of stress because people were able to come together and have conversations and to share some of the difficulties they were experiencing so I think practical terms it's making sure that leaders are really clear about ensuring that their teams are taking time ideally at the beginning of the day for a short time uh, and certainly on a regular basis to review what has been um, happening in their work because that's a more productive efficient and innovative way to work and it also is protective of staff mental health. And I imagine also that teams will become especially important during this time when people aren't able to get out and see family and friends. For example, my sister works in ITU and I know I won't be able to see her now for, you know, a good few months. So I'm hoping that she'll find the support she may have got from face to face contact from family and friends from her team. You know, we can still talk online, but it's not quite the same. Um, but Michael, one of the things I wanted to ask you was some people have been talking even during these early stages of the pandemic about the importance of doctors and other healthcare staff having rest spaces, places they can go during their very long working days to take a short break, have something to eat. And I just wondered if this and there are other things that you thought employers could be doing practically to help their staff during this difficult time. It's absolutely vital that staff under enormous pressure can take breaks from time to time. We are not some kind of you know infinite machine we are human beings we have practical needs the needs to you know stop for a drink the need to go to the toilet the need to get something to eat and it is vital particularly where we face a sustained crisis that people are caring for their health and, and well-being and that means regularly taking breaks whenever they can and also making sure that they're getting the food that they need so that they can continue to function effectively. I mean, all of the evidence we gathered in our inquiry into doctors' mental health showed the huge importance to patient care and safety of doctors making sure that they're doing what they need to do to care for themselves. Because when we're under sustained, sustained stress, we are dramatically more likely to make mistakes which can harm quality of patient care, patient outcomes, uh, but also when we take breaks on a, on a regular basis, we um, are better able to provide the kind of compassionate support within our teams that you talked about. So compassionate support for our patients, for each other, and also you know, making sure we're keeping an eye on um, the, the effectiveness with which we're working with other teams within our organisations, because 
the danger is we become so focused on our own teams that we don't recognize that we have to also ensure effective inter-team working so that we've got joined up responses across our organizations uh, in, 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 in how we deal with this crisis and how we respond to patient needs. I'd like to follow up with a question about leadership styles, Michael, because you talked about compassionate leadership in your last podcast with us. But at this time of unprecedented change, how can leaders lead through it without reverting to a very controlling way of managing? So it is, of course, important in a crisis that there there is um, good management of emergency response and recovery, which is based around concepts of command, control, coordination and the need for for, um, clear structures and guidance and clear roles. Um, But that can very easily slip into a reaction amongst those in power to revert to a style of command and control leadership that goes beyond what is necessary. So instead, overly directing people, um, thereby risking alienating the very staff that we need to be engaged and motivated. And we know from research that when organizations are in crisis, there is uh, a real tendency for leaders to to adopt a kind of threat rigidity approach to their leadership. Um, but the COVID situation is full of uncertainty, uncertainties. We're struggling to find the right solutions as the context changes hour by hour, almost worldwide. Um, we don't know what to do. And, and part of leadership wisdom is about knowing what to do when we don't know what to do. And I think we need the collective intelligence of all of our staff to find the best solutions, adapting and revising them as the situation unfolds. And that means drawing on the resources that we have, which is the collective wisdom and intelligence of our staff. I I always say health service staff are probably the most motivated and skilled and knowledgeable section of our entire workforce. So we should be um, drawing on their wisdom and knowledge. And I, I think compassionate leadership is more important now than ever. That means leaders paying attention to all staff, listening to them, giving them, um, hearing their voices, being present with them, understanding the challenges they face, truly understanding rather than seeking to impose an understanding, empathizing with them, feeling their fears, stresses, uncertainties, anxieties and exhaustion. And that should give motivation, the leaders motivation to always ask the question, how can we help you? And that's the most important task of leadership now and as we go forward in this crisis situation. So um, compassion is critical and compassionate leadership is the means by which I think uh, our leaders can respond most effectively in this crisis. I imagine that there will see some doctors taking on leadership roles that they maybe didn't have before or maybe leading new team members that they haven't worked with before. So we've heard that maybe medical students might come and work in hospitals. Also, doctors who've been retired might be returning to work. You know, have you got any other practical advice for doctors who've got to sort of take on these additional leadership responsibilities on how to manage them? Yes, I, I would say, you know, when you're not used to being in these leadership positions or leading people that you, you know, you're not used to working with, it's 
really the biggest mistake is to, um, out of a lack of confidence, is to fall back into a command and control style. We know that what that that is what tends to happen. Um, you can be most effective as a leader um, by using these four compassionate leadership principles. The most important skill, the most important skill of a leader is listening, listening to those we lead. And, you know, that might sound like, well, that takes too long. It'll take more time. We find decision making is quicker and more effective when people take the time to listen to the people that they lead. And the most important task of a leader is to help those they lead uh, by removing obstacles that are getting in the way and wherever possible to um, provide the resources that are needed. I mean, we have to accept that there is uh, this is a situation where there are not going to be the resources available. Um, and as leaders, we have to be honest and open about that and um, and uh, uh, do all we can to create a climate where people can share their ideas, their knowledge, their skills for how we respond in a in a resource impoverished situation. But the two most important tasks, I think, are listening to the people we lead and helping them by removing the obstacles which are getting in the way of them being able to deliver for the people we serve in this crisis. And we've spoken earlier about how we try and uh, protect the physical health of, of staff um, and also a bit about how we can support um, teams through reflection time and learning and planning. But are there other things that, that we can be doing to support staff's mental health during this time? So... Um, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier that what's really important in terms of staff mental health is um, is having a sense of belonging, spending time with people who we feel care for us and and, uh, uh, and who we care for. And the more contact we can have with family and friends via the, the media that we have available, um, the better. I'm, it's, I can't visit my 93-year-old mother at the minute because of the social isolation but I'm speaking with her three times a day and uh, family members are contacting us and her regularly. And in our teams, taking the time to share our experiences and to share how we're feeling is really important. It's critical that supervisors are um, supportive of those that they lead and their teams and making sure that um, we're checking in with people all the time. One of the things we could do is to create buddying systems where we've got colleagues who um, uh, who we buddy with and we're checking in with them to see how they're doing on a regular basis. Um, it, it's it's making sure this is for the long term as well that you know we're getting enough sleep um, as far as possible, that we are taking exercise, that we're eating well, that we're avoiding falling back onto the use of drugs or alcohol as a way of, of coping. And, and making sure that, um, you know, we're just trying to be present and practicing things like mindfulness techniques rather than ruminating or spending a lot of time feeling anxious, understandable as that, as that may be. And I think many healthcare professionals have a good understanding of what's needed to, to take care of mental health. It's more important now than ever that, that we look after ourselves because you know, what we anticipate is that this crisis is going to go on for many months and chronic stress is what is so damaging um, to human health and well-being. We know that transient stress, you know, a day or two of stress 
people can generally cope with. But you know, week after week, month after month is what is particularly damaging. So looking after ourselves, staying close to our team members, to our as far as we can to family members, to loved ones, um, taking exercise, getting enough sleep, being present. Uh, those are, are vitally important. And, and if we can create these kind of buddying systems, I think that would be really important as well as a way of checking in with each other. And, and the other point that's important is seeking um, support if we feel that we are at breaking point, that we, we seek professional support within our organizations through occupational health uh, and other services. I was going to ask you, Michael, actually, how important you thought psychological support services would be, not only now, but maybe kind of in the future and more long term to help people maybe deal with the very stressful time that they're going through at the moment. So I think it's absolutely vital. There is a national task force um, that NHS England has put together at speed to uh, look at how we can create the psychological support that needs to be available for all staff um, now and in the coming months. And, and I know that many individual trusts are working to provide that psychological support for staff. We need to make sure that we're also providing that support in primary care services. And I know that within the coming weeks, there will be resources made available for all staff to ensure uh, that they are cared for. And in the long term, we know that there will be kind of two reactions to all of this. There will be some who will have some post-traumatic stress and it'll be vital that we're providing support for them. Of course, some people grow through um, through trauma and um, you know, become more compassionate, more self-compassionate and, and stronger as a result. But um, I think it is important that we create a climate within our health services where everyone who feels the need for support can talk about that with colleagues, with supervisors, with professional services, so that we normalize the um, understandable reactions that many of us will be having over this period of exhaustion, of anxiety, of fear, of and, and also of moral distress. So there will be many instances where healthcare staff will have to make decisions where they feel deeply, deeply conflicted and um, deeply affected by the decisions they've had to make. And we must normalise being able to be open and to talk about those issues and to provide support um, over the coming months that we need to keep all of our healthcare staff as well as they can be. And that means looking after their mental health them looking after their mental health, all of us taking responsibility to care for each other. We need now more than ever to create a climate of um, enveloping, holding compassion for each other and for ourselves so that we can respond as a health service and save thousands of lives across the community and come out at the other side wiser, more compassionate and more caring as a society rather than more damaged. One of the things while you were speaking, Michael, I was just wondering about is, I mean, doctors are renowned for not being particularly good at looking after their own physical and mental well-being. And I just wondered if maybe now would be a good time for medical leaders perhaps to role model looking after their own mental well-being and being open about the fact that they are struggling during stressful times, but 
also sharing ways that they're coping. I wonder if that would help at all. I think the more that medical leaders can model, you know, can model being open and honest about, you know, how they're feeling and uh, sharing with staff what they're doing to care for themselves and, uh, and those around them, um, the more helpful that will be. It is absolutely true. What we found in our GMC inquiry was that many doctors were um, not good at all at caring for their health and well-being. We see that the absenteeism rate in the health service is much lower amongst doctors than among other groups. But many more of them are going to work when they're not well. So it is a real issue and um, there is an understandable reluctance to be open about um, you know, not feeling that I'm coping. So the more leaders can model that openness and uh, model good practice in taking care of themselves, um, the, the more that will enable us to have a healthy and positive approach, um, all of us, to dealing with our own well-being and to supporting our colleagues. And, and that's so critical because this is going to go on for months and we can't afford to lose staff to avoidable illnesses um, because they haven't um, been supported in taking care of their own mental health. We need all of the health care staff that we can available and healthy and effective to do their work. So I think that's absolutely right. You were saying that it's important for staff to look after their own health and where we are at the moment is that staff are being asked to self-isolate at home if anyone in the family has symptoms uh, in the UK, certainly at least. Um, and we know that a lot of medical professionals are finding this quite difficult because they feel um, that they should be on the front line. Um, do you have any sort of particular advice? I think it's really difficult. I mean, I, I feel, uh, you know, I, my my mum, 93 years old, living not, not far away at all. It's only a 10 or 15 minute car journey and I want to be there with her. But I'm also aware that um, as a vulnerable person, it's really important that I don't carry infection into her home. Uh, and I find it very difficult, but I, I also understand um, what we need to do for a broader societal response um, to be effective in this crisis. And, and I think it's really important that all healthcare staff are responsible about self-isolating, despite their understandable feeling of desperation to get in and help. And I think one of the best things that you know we can do at this time is to really care for our mental health if we are self-isolating and our physical health too. I'm trying to make sure, you know, because I'm involved in the um, national task force that I'm taking care of my own well-being. I'm taking exercise indoors every day. I'm trying to spend a little bit of time in my in my garden. I'm making sure that I practice meditation every day. I'm eating healthily um, and staying in touch, most importantly of all, with my children, with my partner and um, and uh, and reaching out to friends and colleagues through um, the media that we have available. So I, th I think it's really important that we see our role as healthcare professionals as um, having a part to play through how we look after ourselves so that when we have finished self-isolating, we can come back as well as we can be. Michael, do you have any final thoughts before we finish? We must all hold together and support each other. We must 
in that we must seize this moment, I think, courageously and honestly, um, because it's going to change, I hope for the better, how we are as a healthcare system, as a society. Um, and I think it's just vitally important that um, our leaders, all leaders, practice, actually all healthcare staff practice compassion and create an environment where we look after each other, where we look after patients and communities and the families we serve. So for me, the key message is compassion is more important now than ever. It is the most important intervention we know of in healthcare. And so compassionate leadership, I think, is at the core of how we respond to all of this. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really thoughtful, uh, reflective and, and compassionate session. Um, all the information about the BMJ's wellbeing campaign can be found on bmj.com forward slash wellbeing. And for more on COVID-19, go to bmj.com forward slash coronavirus. In the coming months, we're going to be focusing much more on the pandemic and the response to it. We'll get back to our normal schedule when things feel a bit less acute and we feel that your questions are mostly answered. But until then, if you do have questions you'd like us to try and answer, have a look at bmj.com forward slash podcasts where you can get in touch. We can't promise we'll be able to answer everything, but we'll do our best. So to keep informed about working through the COVID-19 outbreak, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Bye for now.